I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. All right, guys, welcome once again to another episode of the Purple Patch Podcast. And as ever, I'm your host, Matt Dixon, and today... We've got a goodie. It fits under the umbrella or the pillar of recovery, but we're going to focus in on sleep. We're joined today by Dr. Chris Winter, who Ariana Huffington labeled him the sleep whisperer. What more can you ask for? I'm going to save Chris's bio for when I introduce him, but it's best for you to know that he's worked with a broad range of clients from some of the best known professional athletes in basketball, baseball and hockey, many of the world's leading CEOs and of course his patients who have clinical needs for intervention in sleep. He's a neurologist with a focus and lens on performance as it applies for sleep. This is a really timely conversation. After all, sleep is a hot topic. People are actually working out that skipping sleep shouldn't be viewed as toughness or a badge of honor, but instead a performance limiter. But what does that mean? Well, today we explore the unbreakable bond between proper sleep and performance improvements. Before we get into that, let's hear that jingle. We like the way he thinks, serious with a wink. Let's open the book, it's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. Yes, indeed, Word of the Week. And this week, it is meditation. Yes, I know that magic word, very trendy at the moment, and it used to be a little hippy-dippy, and I'm sure that many of you guys still dismiss it. Most due to unfamiliarity, but there is now little doubt that meditation is an ever-emerging tool in a performance-driven mindset. In fact, I encourage you to listen later on to one of Chris Winter's quick-fire question responses around daily energy. If he's talking about meditation as a sleep expert, I think we ought to listen. The paradigm shift that's occurring around that meditation subject is at, in fact really aligning with the more global shift from isolated areas of performance, work, sport, health, to that new concept of the optimized self. And I think that Meditation can help you too. The good news is it doesn't have to take much time, but to be effective, it does rely on habit. Because like all other performance components, to create real value, you must establish consistency. But the good news is this doesn't mean that you have to go to meditation class. It doesn't mean that you have to set aside an hour daily. It doesn't mean that you have to start wearing baggy white clothes and burning incense. Just like brushing your teeth, frequency is everything. And many of your peers who are performance driven are embracing it. In context of today's conversation, you can even sneak in a little dose of meditation in the middle of the day. And don't be too upset or worried if you sleep. In fact, in many ways, naps can be viewed really closely in line with meditation itself. The key is that you must establish a little clear mind and a little quiet time. And if a snooze comes out of that, that's simply your body telling you that you need more sleep. If you can sneak 15 to 20 minutes daily of quiet time, I view it as a great investment in your overall performance, in your energy, and certainly the productivity for the rest of the day. It is a performance enhancer. So 
if you're still keeping your back turned and refusing to accept that it is a component of recovery, keep your back turned no longer. Meditation is here to stay in a performance lens for sport, health, work and life. We're going to be talking a lot more about this in the coming weeks, but rightly so, the word of the week this week, meditation. Now, let's get on with the meat and potatoes. All right, guys, so it's the meat and potatoes, and today, one I'm excited about, we have Dr. Chris Winter. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, my pleasure, Matt. Good stuff. Well, we we go back quite a way, but let me first introduce you for the folks at home. Chris is the president of Charlottesville Neurology and Sleep Medicine. He's worked with multiple, many, and continues to work with multiple major league teams, NBA teams, NHL hockey teams, and you're also an author, author of The Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep is Broken and How to Fix It. So by all definitions, you are a master in sleep and performance. And I will add to that, actually, one of the things that, that we've had a lot of conversations about that interests me is, um, is performance and travel across time zones. And, and we'll get into that a little bit later uh, when we talk about maybe some of your work with the pro teams. And on top of that all, your very busy life, you're, a, you're also a father of three, Chris. So, um, uh, so we are going to not talk about your family today. We are going to dive into the subject of sleep and performance. But before we start talking about it as a performance tool, as I like to call it, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your, your background, your, your education. Where, where did you actually grow up? I'm, I know you're based in Charlottesville now, but I, I'm, I'm not sure where you grew up even. So I grew up actually in the state of Virginia and moved to Charlottesville the first time as an undergraduate. So the University of Virginia is here in Charlottesville, Virginia, and that's where I went to college. So, you know, from the time I think I was probably in third grade, I wanted to be a doctor, but never thought, you know, neurologist or sleep doctor. I thought maybe a pediatrician or something. And when I went to, to school here in Charlottesville, I started doing research just completely accidentally on sleep and um, and how it affects the physiology of the body and just never left the field. It was a fascinating field. There was so much you know, that needed to be learned about the field. The, my mentors in the field were just outstanding individuals and you know, I kind of accidentally fell into sleep 27 years ago and, and here I am still in it. And, and, and you're probably... The, the interesting part of that is that you've been this this passenger, or in fact, driver, you might say, on the, the evolution of how people view sleep as well. Because I would imagine 20 years ago, 25 years ago, even 10 years ago, it was a forgotten element of performance in many ways, yeah? Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's I've always thought that the evolution of sleep kind of paralleled the ele- evolution of something like hydration. It's Mm -hmm. one of those things where nobody thought about it until they thought about it. Then you kind of get to a place where you think, well, how could you not think about it? And and I had the the, the reason I work in sports is because of a study that I did uh, many years ago that I actually thought about when I first started working in sleep. I was working with this fantastic mentor and I said, wow, I wonder if anybody's ever looked at the way baseball teams travel across the country and how that might affect their sleep and their performance. And he, I'll never forget, he said something like, 
well, gee, that's a great idea. Nobody's ever looked at that before. And then I kind of expected him to say, well, let's do it. But he wasn't, he wasn't, it. that wasn't his field of work, but he was really encouraging. So when it came to a point where I was, had the means to do that myself, I, I did. But, you know, he was so encouraging of the idea that sleep was so wide open, even back in the early 90s, that, you know, it was just kind of coming into a field in of itself. And it, like you said, nobody was really thinking about it. And now I think you, we'll, you know, we'll get to the point in the next five, 10 years where even young athletes, you know, high school level will think, I can't imagine a time where, you know, coaches and, and people weren't talking a lot about sleep. I mean, I think that it's one of those things that will just be as common as Gatorade in the future. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's exploding now, even this year, you know, it's accelerating this year from last, you know, it's, it's, it's almost becoming a, such a trendy topic my parallel would be recovery actually in sports and and coming from you know the endurance side of things when i really started writing a lot about training methodology and i, and I had a very heavy interest in in recovery mostly because of my background of destroying myself with lack of recovery to the fact that i sort of got labeled the recovery coach and um and not always very kindly, by the way, I should add. But nowadays, <laughs> it's uh, you know anyone that would think about a training methodology without fully integrated recovery would be looked at as though they're completely insane. And um, and sleep is certainly becoming that way. So so why don't we dig into it? Let's first establish the framework. So let's let's talk about good sleep and what that means because I want to have a framework of our discussion so that we can fall underneath. And when we have our discussion today, we are going to be talking about not just sports performance, but hopefully do some crossover into people for performing in the workplace as well. So let's establish first. And what is good sleep? What does that mean to you? Sure. I mean, I think there's a lot of ways you could define it, particularly given the background that you have. I, I think that simply put, it's good sleep is a sleep that is satisfying an individual both intrinsically like the sleep feels good but there's also evidence that you're actually you know performing at your best and not feeling the need for sleep the next day so and i think that you kind of have to look at two the two different aspects of sleep meaning how does it in Kind of innately feel to an individual when somebody says I had a bad night of sleep last night or I didn't sleep last night or I slept great last night there there's a there's a good chance that that perception might not match up with the reality of what happened maybe in in the things that you do something you would consider to be a very good training run uh, for one of your athletes at some point in their preparation for an event, you might look at it as being very good. Like they did a good job today. Um, they may feel may, they may have felt very poorly with it because they didn't run a certain time. But in your mind, as their coach, you're thinking, given what I've done to, the, to them over the last few days, I wouldn't expect them to hit these certain times. I would expect them to do other things. So to me, there's the mental aspect of it, but then there's also the, well, how did you perform the next day? Well, did you go to work and, and fall asleep in, in, in your first meeting? Did you not off at the wheel of a car? Or did you have ample energy, both physical and mental, that kind of carried you through the day? So ideally, I think good sleep checks both of those boxes. It's sleep that the individual feels is good, 
and it's also doing its job. And, and, and that's one thing that's kind of written about now with sort of people who are sleep divergent, meaning that they feel like their sleep is good when it's not, or they feel like their sleep is not good when it is, and the kind of problems that those things play with, with, with individuals. And, and it is, you know, if you start sort of talking about quality and quantity of sleep, so, so quality is obviously a huge component of what you said, and then quantity, how many hours, that is highly individual, yes? It is, yeah. I, I think it's highly individual to a point. You know, I'll have patients who come in and say, I, yeah, I'm getting three hours of sleep and doing just fine. Um, number one, if that is in case, in fact the case, you are not doing fine. And number two, I guess is you're probably getting more than three hours of sleep a night. Every now and then, you know, Donald Trump or some speechwriter will say they go through you know months and months of only getting one or two hours of sleep a night. It's just simply not true. It's not sustainable um, uh, without a cattle prod, basically. So, but you know, I think within an, an elite athletic population, the variation's even greater because you've got that sort of intrinsic you know, bell curve, uh, seven hours, eight hours, six and a half, nine hours. But when you also add in training load, you know, particularly if it's particular, you know, fairly intense, that can increase the need of sleep in an individual. So and that's one thing that, you know, athletes need to be aware of that when they're training heavily, that they may find more of a need to sleep than when they're not. And if they're not making allowances for that, that's when insomnia happens. Well, the race is over. They're back to a lighter, you know, training schedule, more recovery, um, and they're having trouble falling asleep. Well, they are because they don't need to go to bed at nine o'clock now. They could probably go to bed at ten or ten thirty because of the reduced load that they're putting on themselves. So, I think athletes need to be aware that this this thing is variable within each other, different athletes, but also variable within themselves depending on age training load and other factors and you know as with as with every other component it is uh, it is fluid it is not static and and that, that's actually one of the, one of the things that uh that i always say i get my seven hours well hang, that's like saying i train 15 hours a week it's like actually there should there, there yeah. should be rightly an ebb and flow let's flip it on the other side what is poor sleep or less optimal sleep? And in, in many ways, you just answered that in some ways. But let, let's let's actually flip it back. What is poor sleep? So I think you know poor sleep is. We'll go backwards this time. It's it's sleep that's either um, inadequate in its in its amount. Um, so even the athlete who really feels like that, and I'm sure you probably deal with this more than most the individual who is the high-level hedge fund manager mm-hmm. who really puts a lot of hours into work but also puts a lot of hours into their training, maybe at the sacrifice of their sleep. But there are individuals who say, look, as long as I can get five hours, I do really well. And, and, and we can go into a million reasons why that's not the case. You know, Doing well and able to do are two different things. Um, outside of sleep amount is really sleep quality. So bad sleep, I think one thing we often see is our individuals who are not getting the right sleep quality, either because they have a breathing disturbance, they have intrinsic issues with leg movements at night, they have bed partners that are interfering with their sleep. So anything either within the athlete or external to the athlete that's preventing the sleep quality from being its best um, can be bad sleep. And some people can make up for that bad sleep quality 
with more quantity. Um, but that only works to you know to a certain degree, and then you know, it kind of falls off the cliff. Well, you know, with with that, uh, if we exclude your patients, so those that are visiting you to address a a known or or a supposed specific sleep issue. So, in other words, let, let's look at the population that you work with people like uh, high functioning executives or particularly pro athletes as well. Sure. When you when you talk to those people, so performance driven people that would like to enhance their sleep, essentially for performance, how many? And, and this might be tough for you to know, but what sort of percentage or how many rank? How many typically start with good sleep? So, how much of it's an issue if uh-huh. it is it? Sure, I, you know, I, I would say, and, and and what you're getting at is sort of. So I'll be heading off to spring training here in a few weeks and and, and dealing with athletes. So I will sit down with one particular team. I'll spend three days with them. And over the course of that time, we'll probably interact with or evaluate 120 baseball players. You know, generally speaking, about 15 to 20 percent of them will have issues related to their sleep that I think need to be dealt with pretty quickly. Um, and a few of those, you know, 10 to 20% are really immediate pressing matters to the point where you're like, how on earth did you arrive at a professional baseball training camp (laughs) dealing with what you're dealing with, which is always staggering to me because my thought is if we can fix his sleep, he'll be the best player in major league baseball. You know, if he can make it to this level, despite this handicap. Wow, what will he be without it? So I, I don't know. I would say probably in a professional athletic group or a group that's not seeking help for their sleep, but I'm going to go in there and evaluate them, I would say something on the order of 60 to 80% of those people are probably sleeping quite well. Like there's nothing wrong with their sleep and very little they could probably dramatically improve upon like their sleep's pretty good i just need to make sure it's consistent it's the right amount for them in any little trivial thing they have going on with their sleep hey i sweat a lot at night or my wife snores that we're dealing with but you know i think most people in the population you're describing they're probably they've probably got b plus a minus sleep already yep it's still a it's still a staggering percentage because the population that we are talking about is the elite of the elite. So in other words, exactly. you know, you're, if you're talking about 10 or 15% of the very elite athletes that are compromised sleep, it's, um, it's, it's still a high population. If, if we extended that, and we won't talk about it too much, if we extended it to general population, the percentage of people that could do with habit evolution or as you sort of talked about, their intervention probably goes up, doesn't it? Way, way up. And, and if we're talking about if the reach of what you do as a coach extends to the collegiate level, and I would even say the high school level, I think the number goes up dramatically then too. Just because, and maybe with you know the hedge fund manager we talked about before, if you know, the professional athlete, their job is their, their athletic pursuit generally nothing else. I mean, these baseball players play baseball and then they go home and play video games or take a nap or play a little with their kids. But their job is to be great baseball players or basketball players. So the ones you have to look out for are probably the ones that you deal with. I'm not professional athlete, but I'm an elite athlete. 
I really put a lot of effort into my craft and I'm having to deal with learning how to be an elite runner, an elite swimmer, an elite biker, which takes time. God, just a 28 mile bike ride and a 10 mile run takes time. And then you're also trying to be great at your job. Those are the individuals that can really get into some trouble with their sleep because there's it's two immovable objects. You know, something's got to give. Yeah, more, more institutions to manage. You know, we always talk about the our professional athletes that we work with. Everything in their life is wrapped around performance. So training, sleep, uh, recovery, nutrition, etc. Everyone else has to integrate their sport into a very busy life, exactly. including family and work. So, so, so let, let's talk about the uh, the reward, the outcome, the the benefit, because you know we, we establish that sleep is critical. We know what good sleep is, but what is it, what what what's the influence of positive sleep habits on global performance? And, and feel free to go into a little bit of physiology. Just just keep it a little basic for me. But sure, sure. What, what's the reward system of getting really good sleep? Yeah, I think it's staggering. I mean, the the reason I work with athletes is really nothing to do with athletes. It has more to do with the it's it's a laboratory. I mean, I, I athlete is somewhat arbitrary. We could have decided let's let's work with lawyers or doctors or airplane pilots or whatnot. But you know, the, the nice thing about an athlete, particularly the ones that you work with, mm-hmm. where everything is timed. I've got, you know, I've been doing these runs and trainings for three years and I keep meticulous records in these logs that I keep or whatnot. I know exactly what my 500 meter swim time is. You know, the nice thing about that is when you start manipulating variables like sleep, you, you often get an answer. And so th- that's the reason we wanted to work with athletes because we wanted to figure out if we got people sleeping better, did it really matter? You know, and so the great thing about it is that it does. I mean, in, in numerous studies, not only in terms of athletic performance, but just in physiology in general, it, it, it works. And the problem, though, is it, it tends to work somewhat slowly and it's a long play. You know, it, it's it's not a shot of some sort of performance enhancing drug. It, you know, and a lot of people, particularly the younger athlete can do quite well ignoring their sleep. So it really starts to become this idea of, yeah, I know you do well. I know you came in first or I know you came in third and you think that if you just keep doing what you're doing, you'll eventually get to the level you want to, but it can be a lot easier if you take care of your sleep. And so it's easy to convince an athlete that's starting to decline. Now he or she's panicked and saying, look, I'm going to pay attention to my sleep because I, I'm, I'm not competing at the level I did a couple of years ago. What we want to do is we want to convince young athletes, new athletes, people new to the sport. That this should be part of your training right from the beginning and not simply when things go bad. So, you know, if you're looking at things that it directly impacts you know, for an individual who's not getting good sleep that we defined earlier, it can impact the speed at which you do your sport. So a running speed or swimming speed, um, it's been shown to, to improve both starting times, reaction times, turn times in a swim. If you're somebody who does pool swims, mm-hmm. it completely changes decision making uh, and ability to do things. So when I think about, you know, races they, they seem, I think, probably to an outsider as being quite static. 
but there's a million decisions that are being made throughout a race, when to push, when to pull back, how hard to go in a certain aspect of the sleep. Uh, we become very risk adverse uh, when we, uh, I'm sorry, we actually seek more risk than we should when we're uh, ill prepared to sleep. We don't recognize cues from others. We don't recognize our own cues when we're, when we're, when we're poorly slept. Um, so, you know, all these things, we tend to be injured uh, more. We tend to recover slower from injuries. Um, it's, it's amazing just our, our accuracy with certain things. So if you were a biathlete and you had to suddenly stop skiing and shoot a gun, you know, accuracy of things like that becomes much less. Um, uh, our ability to retain information, to concentrate. You know, I think of a long distance runner. My biggest hindrance when I've done things like that is myself. I just, I can't bear to be with myself for a three hour run, you know, which is why I'm so much better running in a new place, like running in New York City than I am on that same road I run on all the time just because the mental aspect of it crushes me. And that's much harder for an individual who's poorly slept. So it's just, it's all of those things. It's optimism, it's faith, it's 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 energy, enthusiasm, stamina. All these things suffer when we're not getting enough sleep. And and then uh, layering on the the most general one, of course, it's the playground of your physiological adaptations as well. So, in other words, if if you're very athlete centric in your mindset, you're applying a training stress, and yes. the physiological adaptations of why you're applying applying that physiological stress to be fitter, stronger, more powerful, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, cannot happen without proper sleep as well. That's right, and and I think I mean I, I I'm not sure who's making fun of the recovery doc the recovery coach anymore. I mean I think recovery is everything when it comes to sports. I mean, and I think that under the umbrella of recovery sleep neatly fits. I mean, I think it's a huge part of that. So, you know, to go out there and do all these things you're describing and really push ourselves and not give ourselves adequate time to recover or adequate time to sleep is, is, is a fool's errand. It's, it's, you know, you're destroying that you're breaking the body down with this idea that it will recover, it will rebuild itself better, even though I'm not giving it a chance to do that. Everything that you said there, you, you said with a very athletic mindset, you talked about athletes, but everything you said paralleled to what I would think of was a, as an executive or, or a CEO. So you talked about decision making, you talked about critical thinking, optimism, so, so many elements that we could have scrubbed out all the athletic correspondence and said, let's apply that to the workplace. So it, so it has a, a, the same, what are the parallels, I guess, with, with the fact that you work with so many executives, but you also work with elite athletes as well? What are the parallels? What are the differences when you, when you see these two populations? I mean, I think the only difference is there's not investment baker trading cards. You know, I've always thought that'd be very interesting that if a, you know, a firm actually created statistics, you know, uh, you know, what are the variables that would, you know, how many sales did you make um, after a difficult week? Uh, how did you recover the next week? What was your productivity like? If you're somebody who has to write a lot, what is the quality of your writing? How quickly can you hammer out a good piece of writing? I always you know, try to tell executives, 
the work you're doing, you know, after midnight is probably half as good as it would be if you were rested. And it's probably taking you twice as long. And I can't even, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm the pot calling the kettle black. How many times I've gotten up in the morning to look at that article I've written for the magazine or whatever and thought, well, this is really terrible. It's meandering. I'm losing my focus here. I'm just ending sentences strangely. Forget this. And, and you start all over again. Man, I should have just slept. You should have just slept during the time you were writing the terrible article. So, you know, I think that for executives that are really in tune with themselves or have been to a place where they're performing very well and now are not, I mean, I'm getting over a little bit of a, a cold and I could feel my enthusiasm for my work, my energy level just wasn't there. I was kind of like, God, oh, let me get through these last three patients. I just really want to go home and sit on my butt and watch the Olympics. Like I just... I don't have the enthusiasm to do these things that people want me to do that I usually find a lot of you know, personal satisfaction in. So I don't think there's really any difference in the elite athlete and the elite surgeon, the elite lawyer, the elite broker. It's just that I think we have a better metric for measuring the athlete, maybe too good, than we do the broker. So when the broker is off, Who's telling him or her she's off? How does that individual know she's off? Because she made a million dollars today. That's pretty good. Yeah. You know, better than these other these other people that work in the office. Yeah, but that, you know, if the elite athlete, if if Kevin Durant or you know LeBron James are measuring themselves against the guy who comes off the bench for 20 minutes in a game. Well, I can crush him even after when I'm hungover. I can come to practice hungover and beat the hell out of everybody. And then you get into the Michael Jordan syndrome where it's it becomes boring and there's nothing to measure you against. And so you start seeking, I'm going to play baseball Yeah. because <laughs> I, I, I miss the challenge. I miss the process of building something. I've built it with Matt. He's got me to the point where I win every triathlon I can show up drunk and still beat most people in the trap. Like I'm bored with it now. So it's important we find the right metric, um, I think, with, with people who are not in some sort of professional sport. Well, well let, let's paint a real world picture and uh, a, a tangent here, but I, I thought it might be fun. So here we have classic. Here's a purple patch athlete, classic, <laughs> New York based lives outside of New York, probably somewhere in Connecticut, commuting into work. So that's the obvious early trains to get in. So very busy executive family, highly committed to the family, which I think is important. Um, high work responsibilities that include time zone travel, athletic and event driven. So uh, I, I can think of a guy in my mind right now has done a half marathon, marathons, uh, and even some half Ironmans getting ready for that. So he has the, the classic challenge, highly motivated, performance-driven in work, performance-driven in his hobby, even though he doesn't like to call it his hobby because he identifies himself as an athlete. But he has that puzzle that he has to crack in. He's got to fit training into life. It is always, and, and you must see this, it's the first thing to go. I've got to work late. I'll go to bed at midnight or 11 p.m., but I'm still getting up at 3.30 because I've got to get in two hours. One hour of a trainer ride is not enough. And any time traveling, time zones, that's just a necessary evil. Just plow through like a, a bull going through a barn door, you know, ignores it and trains on. So there's this constant chronic sleep reduction 
there are very real physiological consequences of having that be your habit. In other words, your life. Something, you know, it's not a deviation, it is your habit. And it, and it really compromises the ability to, as you, you know, not just work, but, you know, not just survive, but thrive, really, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I, mean, I, I think that individual you described is going to have a stroke at age 53. And he's the one that everybody's thinking, God, he was. He was so in shape. He was so, it was a triathlete for God's sakes. That the stress that, that kind of long-term sleep deprivation puts you under is tremendous from a, from a health perspective. And, you know, and the sad thing is, is that certain people do better with it than others. When I say do better, I mean thrive in business, thrive in school, not thrive health-wise. I mean, it hurts everybody, but you know, so this thing that allowed him to get to the top, to get the coveted New York job in the beautiful house in Connecticut and to be a good triathlete is this real negative thing. It's sort of I think everybody has to come to this conclusion of just because I can do it doesn't mean I should. I mean, maybe there's a parallel. You know, I, I'm not saying I do this. I'm saying but you know, I'm sure there's somebody out there. I remember talking to an elite fisherman. These people who do these big tournaments where they go out for three days in the Gulf and fish. And, you know, I was talking to them and some of them, you would use things like cocaine to stay awake. I'm not addicted to it. I can do it. It's not that big a deal. It's, it's not it's a tiny little amount. I can handle it. No, you can't. You're yeah. fooling yourself if you can. And the funny thing is, is the executive you've described would probably never be late to a meeting, would probably never be late picking his kid up from you know, swim practice or soccer practice, but by God, they'll be late going to bed every night. You know, it's really interesting how it, it you know, not brushing your teeth would never happen. Not picking your, your kid up at soccer. Practice. I would never leave them and be late. I mean, if it happened, it would mortify me. But we, like you said, we bull right through this idea of not sleeping. And yeah, you know, maybe there's a reason to pull an all nighter here and there, but if you're shortchanging your sleep, you're shortchanging your performance, not only in the short term, but in the long term, and maybe more importantly, you're, you're shortchanging your health. You're really putting your stress on your body. And what, what you really said there is a shift in values, isn't it? So, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a shift in values. And in fact, with the one thing that, you do, that, that our case study just have, and I won't name my particular case study that's in my mind, but... It, we, we always talk about some the one thing that you can manage is training and particularly training hours and there's a a shift of mindset to actually say you will get a bigger yield you will thrive more if you value sleep and make that a non-negotiable and do some training more effectively rather than just having a predetermined set number of training hours that's going to cause you to disrupt and diminish sleep globally Absolutely. I, mean, I think one of the biggest challenges for the athlete you've described, the ones you work with, and the thing that endlessly fascinates me, and I don't see it in a lot of other professional sports, is the idea that an hour-long bike ride, when the person you described starting out, that it would have killed him. He went out on a bike ride the very first time he got his bike with a buddy who was really into triathlons. He, he, 48 minutes, he could barely feel his feet, and he thought he was going to die. And eventually you get to a place where, you know, I only have an hour for a bike ride today because some other things going on with me or I want to get to bed. Well, that's not enough. Why even bother? It's interesting. Like, and I also see it even just with the races people do. Like, 
They start off with a sprint triathlon. They move up to the Olympic, then the half iron. It's I've got to do more because I don't feel this. I don't feel this thing anymore. I don't feel I can get roll out of bed and do a sprint triathlon. I don't feel that like I used to. So it's almost like this sort of drug response that people have to reconcile that, yeah, an hour long bike ride during a day is outstanding exercise. It's really good. And, and you and if you train, if you listen to Matt and you train the right way for that 13 hours you, and, and sleep, you're probably getting way more than the 17 hours compromise sleep, particularly long term. Yeah. I mean, I, you just don't meet elite athletes in anything that I do where they, for long periods of time, sacrifice their sleep. When they're young and they do that and they don't get it together, they're the people who burn out of the league and leave people wondering, oh, whatever happened to that guy? Remember, he was he was drafted second overall. Whatever happened to that guy? Why, whatever, why did he fall out of the league? It's probably because he didn't take care of himself and never knew how to do to begin with. Well, well let, let, let's actually do a detour to that, and then I want to go into a little um – uh, some actionable steps but but you actually have done research on on that with major league players with longevity in a league at, and and i think it's just really fascinating this this goes back some time doesn't it but just give us a, a minute on your research that you actually did with the impact of sleep over the longevity or life life expectancy of a major league player yeah so in my book you, you can find it in other places but i put a couple measurements of sleepiness in the book so it's like a you know questionnaire you give at the back of a Cosmo. You know, do you ever do this? Do you ever fall asleep? Do you? And so if you answer the questions, it gives you a score. And the higher the score, the more driven to sleep you are. Sleepy. So we're using sleepy specifically as how driven are you to sleep and not tired or fatigued. I've, I've, I've biked 28 miles. I'm feeling fatigued, but I'm not falling asleep on my bike. So. For individuals who are found to be excessively sleepy, and the only reason an individual is going to be excessively sleepy is you are not sleeping enough or there's something wrong with your sleep. But for the individuals who are found to be excessively sleepy, their rate of exit from the from Major League Baseball was significantly higher than the group that wasn't excessively sleepy. And we didn't discriminate as to why you left the league. You just retired, you got injured, you were replaced because you weren't good enough for whatever reason. So the number of the, so if you're excessive, if you were excessively sleepy, three years later, the likelihood you would still be doing what you were doing, playing in a major league level was much less. So much so that that was retrospective. There are teams now that look at it prospectively, meaning that if I run a hedge fund and I'm hiring people to work in my firm, that might be something I would ask. So I mean, why don't you take this quick survey or how much sleep do you get? Or do you like to nap? Do you find it hard to stay awake? But the answer to those questions indicate to me that that future employee is excessively sleepy. I'm probably going to move on. Now, with an elite athlete, you might draft that sleepy person if you thought you had a mechanism to figure out why they were sleepy and fix it. So you can really get that person at a value. Uh, but, you know, if I have a 20 young stockbrokers sitting there, I'm going to pick the one that's probably sleeping the best because they're going to be the best long-term investment. It, so, yeah, I mean, so anyway. Yeah, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's fascinating because no longer, one of the messages is no longer is a lack of sleep and 
more working hours a badge of honor or a sign of toughness it's actually a sign of potential weakness in the future absolutely yeah it's a seismic so so let's go to setting up an approach and we'll just do two to three minutes and then i've got some quick fire questions that you don't know what i'm going to ask you so um but there'll be flash in the pan that we ask everyone but setting up sort of approach or or innovation i'm presuming that if people want to embrace sleep a little bit it's what are the abcs i'm assuming it doesn't need to be overly complex what are the abcs of ensuring that you get good sleep quality time hours environment tracking etc what what would be your sort of top two or three tips yeah well well, let's do i'm sitting i'm gonna gonna create an abc so a i would say would be assess. And what I mean by that is assess your sleepiness. If you're just waking up, having fallen asleep five minutes into this podcast, that might be a good assessment that you're in need of some more sleep. So if you're sneaking out to your car, setting your iPhone every day at lunchtime and sleeping for an hour, um, or you go into a bathroom stall and put your head down on the toilet paper dispenser and take a little nap, Um, these are all good signs that you are not getting the sleep you need at night and your brain is actively seeking it during the day. A person who comes home and I have patients who say they'll pull into their driveway and they fall asleep in their car. Like they don't even have, they don't have the energy to get out of the car and go lay down on the couch. They just sleep in the car seat. So if there are signs in your life, falling asleep during movies, church services, business meetings, stoplights, that you're excessively sleepy then I think that's something to pay note to, that you need to interpret that as being either you're not getting enough sleep or you're, 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 there's something wrong with your sleep. I think for the B, it would really be to build a schedule. Everybody needs to have a schedule. It needs to be prioritized, and you need to stick to it. And for me, my schedule is I'm allowed to listen to a little bit of Stephen Colbert's opening monologue but by and large, I want to be in bed by 1130. Um, and that was sort of a, a compromise with myself because I can easily go to bed at one, get up the next day, do my thing and be OK. I don't fall asleep during patients, but I don't feel well. My blood pressure creeps up. It's not healthy. So, again, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. I've made a decision even in, if I'm in the, involved in the most compelling email or the most compelling bobsled run of the the, the 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 Olympic Games, I'm going to tape it, I'm going to go to bed, and I'll watch it tomorrow. Nothing is that important that it can't wait. And I'm always happy when I do, and I'm always really upset when I don't. And I think the C, um, if we've assessed ourselves as being sleepy, we've kind of built a schedule and we're being um, good about it. If we're still feeling like we're not hitting on all cylinders, I guess the C would be to Uh, collaborate or seek counsel, uh, meaning that find somebody who can help you with your sleep and seek out their help. There are sleep specialists everywhere, no matter if you're in New York, if you're in San Francisco, there are people out there probably forgotten more sleep than I'll ever know. Read a book, uh, find reputable sources for information, talk to your coach about sleep. Like, Don't let it fester and don't get frustrated when the $10,000 mattress, the new bed sheets, the Tom Brady pajamas, the sleep app on your phone, those things don't fully fix the problem. If they do, that's great. But if they don't, sleep hygiene only takes us so far. Uh, there could be intrinsic problems with your sleep that you're not going to get solved until you get professional help. So assess your sleep, 
build a good plan of, of your schedule, build a good bedroom that's comfortable, make sure it's quiet, dark, and cool. And then if you can't figure it out, seek somebody else's collaboration or help. Well, lo- last thing here, Chris, and I, I just want to plug your book a little bit uh, in, in an authentic and real way. The one thing that I like about your book is as much as sort of people can probably tell from, from this discussion, it is, uh, it is full of personality and stories and very, very approachable as well. So if people are interested in reading about sleep, uh, the one thing that I think is uh, fantastic about the book is, yes, that the information is there. It's high quality, but you're great at storytelling and you make it very approachable. So it's you know, sometimes when, you, when people think about performance or they read about performance, they might expect something dry this ain't dry so i'd highly recommend to to people and i think we're going to give away one of your books uh as a part of this podcast as well Um, awesome there's um so uh, details of that in the uh, in the summary at the end uh when i've let you go the um the second thing i'm going to get a commitment from you because i'm going to do this publicly so you can't get out of it there's a whole other area that we could explore and we're going to explore in a podcast over the, the coming month or two, which is around sleep and travel. And, uh, and I think that's going to be fascinating. So I'm going to ask you now if you could come back on and do an episode Absolutely. on sleep. And uh, travel. Time. That, that's a fun thing to talk about. And, and I think really practical probably for a lot of the people that you deal with. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do that. So here we go. One minute, quick fire questions. Some of these may not be relevant to you. Just say pass uh-huh. if you don't want to answer them. No, I'm going to hit them all. All right, hit them all. Okay, number one. And if these have to be one word, one sentence. Can't be long yes. dialogues. You and I are wordy. We can't do it wordy, I'm afraid. This has <laughs> got to be from the gut, okay? Okay. Here, here we go. What's the biggest challenge time-starved high performers face? Finding personal time that's downtime to themselves. Golden Watching time. a crappy TV show or something like that. It's it just, it's a necessary part of what we do. It's hard to fit that in sometimes without sacrificing sleep. All right. You, you try to accelerate your speaking there to get it within the parameters. That's of right. That's right. That. That. Yeah. You're a word crammer. I know your type. Okay. <laughs> What's your number one performance habit to help daily energy? What a toss up. Meditation. Meditation. Okay, good stuff. I'm glad because I didn't get to ask you that today, so that's a good one. Training. And I, I, I'm going to say don't judge your meditation whether or not you sleep or not. Simply being quiet for a period of time is a great way to approach a nap. Super. I'm gra- we didn't go into that today, so that's a great answer. That's a, that's a, I will ask you that. We'll, just, we'll, we'll explore that when we talk about travel a little bit as well. Okay, number three, training. Listen to music, focus on the task, or troubleshoot work problems. Oh, listen to music. All right, good man. We've got to talk about being present in training, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> what do you wish you had more of? Of oh, time. Training. You prefer to fly solo or surround yourself with a crowd? I would prefer to surround myself with a crowd, but I don't find it's hard to find that sometimes. All right, here's a good one. Across elite performers, name one to two characteristics of an elite performer. Their dreams are successful uh, would be number one. Um, And number two, they have a plan for everything. Perfect. All right, two more. Who has been your biggest mentor? Oh, um... I would say my, my, my biggest mentors 
were probably Paul Surratt and Don Blywise within sleep. Within elite athletics, it's been people like, I mean, I almost, I almost learn as much from the athlete and the athlete staff than I do. So people like you, people like uh, Lonnie Sotokoff with the Cleveland Indians and uh, Donnie Strock with Oklahoma City Thunder. Like we're all kind of in this and trying to figure it out together. There is no textbook yet. That's great. Yeah. So, and by the way, brownie points for adding me in there. Very, very good. Very smart. <laughs> I've learned a lot from you. <laughs> and then the last one, which which could be a book. So you're going to have to do one word, one sentence. What's the number one tip for travel? I would say pay attention to light and eating and have a plan for both, both before your travel and after. What a great way to wrap up there and lead into episode Our two next of podcast. this. Exactly. Right. So, Chris, I know you've got to run. I know you've got patients waiting. I, I thank you so much. It's been fantastic. I really appreciate it. Anytime, Matt. It's always fun. Good man. Cheers. Take care. Well, thanks so much, Chris, for joining us. That's truly some magic stuff there, some really interesting stuff to dive deep to, and I was very happy that I managed to secure him for another episode. So in the coming weeks, we're going to dive more into his expertise, and my goal and mission is to get really granular. We're going to stay very, very focused about managing the stress of travel. So look out for future episodes where we're going to try and develop a practical guide for you Mostly not to make you less tired with travel, but minimize the corrosive stress of travel. Because if we can do that, it can enable you to thrive, whether it's athletically or be prepared for the boardroom when you arrive. If you're interested in the sleep solution, his book, you can win it. In 50 words or less, all you have to do is give us your number one tip for quality sleep. Through our highly scientific review process, in which I read them and decide which one I like the best, or maybe the one that's the most funny, you're going to receive a copy of The Sleep Solution. And you know what? We'll throw in a copy of The Fast Track Triathlete as well. So we'd love to hear from you. Info at purplepatchfitness.com. Title it Sleepy so we can filter it out from the other emails. And we'll let you know next week who the winner is. Take care, guys. Bye. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate, review, and share. Thanks.